My hope and my plan is to start a new sermon series on Romans that will likely last a long time. So I decided I'm going to do something different today, just to do a one-off sermon before we jump into another lengthy sermon series. So I want to talk today about genuine Christian faith. We're going to be in Matthew 7, 15 to 23. Uh, We are, no doubt, living in a time here in the United States, at least, probably throughout Europe as well, we could include, in which the Christian faith is on the decline. In fact, it's on the decline pretty fast. And uh, we can see that um, not only through church attendance throughout the United States, but the rise of the nuns. And when I say nuns, I don't mean the ones that wear habits and live in cloistered in convents, all right? Nuns meaning N-O-N-E-S, nuns. Actually, there's a little joke. A guy told the story that uh, he was at a hospital and the nurses um, had asked the person religion, and she said, none, and then he heard the uh, nurses all over, you know, sort of talking, saying, she doesn't look like a nun. I don't know. So, but she meant n- no religion. Uh, for a long time, when people were asked to fill out forms as to what their particular religion, denominational affiliation is, they would choose Roman Catholic, Presbyterian, Methodist, or whatever it may be. But now what we see is a very large growing group, very quickly growing group, a large group of those who would click none, of no religious affiliation. However, I think with those with eyes to see, we see not just that the Christian faith is perhaps apparently shrinking numerically, but that God is pruning, that a genuineness of the Christian faith perhaps is being revealed. This makes perfect sense if you think about it. If Christianity is very popular, it's very fashionable to be a Christian and to go to church, then you have mixed motives. It becomes a social experience, business networkings come from that and so forth. But if it's not fashionable and it's not uh, typical to go to church and beat someone who takes their faith seriously, then what? Then only those who are truly interested end up. So I think there's a calling in Scripture to regularly ask that question, to test yourselves, test ourselves. Are we genuine Christians? I want to read to you guys from Matthew 7, 15 to 23. Um, Part of this has been called perhaps the scariest passage in the Bible. Did you know that? The scariest passage in the Bible has nothing to do with Satan or demons or occultic things. It has to do with a biblical truth that is chilling. But here we go to chapter 7, starting at verse 15. Jesus says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor a diseased tree bear good fruit. But every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. 
May the Lord add his blessing and understanding to the reading and the application of his word this morning. Here's where we're going. I'd like to let you guys know where we're going first. That genuine Christianity is sound in doctrine. That's really in just verse 15. 16 to 20, genuine Christianity is abundant in fruit. We'll talk about what the fruit is a reference to. And then 21 to 23, that hard passage, genuine Christianity is sincere in faith. So first he says here, uh, beware of false prophets. There's a clear connection in the Bible between Old Testament false prophets, those who claim to speak the word of the Lord, but in actuality didn't, were speaking from their own imaginations or their own motives and thoughts, and what the New Testament would typically call false teachers, those who, again, have other motives than genuinely trying to teach the word. Plenty of passages we could look to for this, but I just one of them, Jeremiah 23, 16 to 18, thus says the Lord of hosts, Jeremiah, who was indeed a true prophet, says this, do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you, filling you with vain hopes. They speak visions of their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. They say continually to those who despise the word of the Lord, it shall be well with you. And to everyone who stubbornly follows his own heart, they say, no disaster shall come upon you. Everybody's fine. Everything's fine. There's no problem with anything. And as Jeremiah says this from the Lord, for who among them has stood in the counsel of the Lord to see and to hear his word? Or who has paid attention to his word? In other words, these are not true prophets who have heard from God. In the same sense, Jesus now warns that will be true of the Christian faith. There will be some who are using the Christian faith for their own purposes. And he uses a shepherding illustration. It's one that they would have certainly been very familiar with. Sheep are a common symbol of God's people because we follow the shepherd. And he describes some as coming in as wolves in sheep's clothing. Now, I have a picture of that from uh, a wood cutting from the 16, I think it was the 1600s, 1700s. Um, by the way, this is, of course, uh, an illustration As far as I know, wolves don't actually hide in sheep's clothing. Uh, That would be a very, very clever wolf. But in the Christian church, that certainly does happen. Why do they do that? Ultimately, as he says, they're ravenous. They are seeking to devour the sheep. They want to use them for their own purposes. What would those purposes be? A lot of different things, whether that's money or sexual things or fame or just their own pride and their own ego Plenty of reasons why people would seek to deceive and use Christians for their own purposes. The shepherding illustration, like I said, is common in Scripture. Sheep are seen uh, somewhat negative today. Uh, you heard the term sheeple? Uh, sheeple is a mixture of people and sheep. It's basically a derogatory way of describing those who just follow what other people say. Um, we, we don't see it as a very positive thing. However, sheep is considered a compliment, actually, in, in the Bible. It's one who follows the true shepherd. Virtually every funeral in the English language, like as we read yesterday, read Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, which means I'm one of his sheep. Sheep is sometimes juxtaposed with goats, so believer and a non-believer. Uh, one goes on Jesus' right, the other goes on Jesus' left. And of course, wolves really do exist, and they do seek to destroy the sheep. Not everyone who claims to be a pastor or a church leader or a theologian is really genuine in what they're seeking. And Jesus gives us this warning. So what do you do? Well, look for sound doctrine. (laughs) That's really the first and most basic test. Do you believe the gospel? I mean, it's pretty straightforward, right? Um, Do you hold to the truth 
of the word of God? Do you persevere in it? If you don't, then, of course, you're not someone who truly knows the Lord. That's what it means, you to trust in Christ. Uh, and there is a calling, certainly, here to be wary of false teaching. Um, I can mention just a number. I think some of the prosperity teaching you see on TV, uh, it's all about self. I think there is also traditionalism that turns the Christian faith into merely a set of ceremonies and no more. There is a nationalism that uh, carries the cross and wraps itself in the American flag, as it's been said, uh, that really isn't interested in the truth of the Christian faith. And then there are many today who are doing what's sometimes called deconstructing their faith, you know, basically moving away from the Christian faith and changing what they believe. I just want to note, though, that the Christian faith hasn't changed. It's been the same, virtually, at least in its essentials, in every culture throughout 2,000 years, and of course in ancient Israel, thousands of years before that. Whether it's offensive to a particular culture or not, it really depends on that culture, not on the Christian faith. The Christian faith has been saying the same thing about, the, the, uh, about sexuality and about the unborn for 2,000 years. Never changed this opinion. Said the same thing about the poor and how we are to treat and love and care for them. Says the same thing about immigrants and how they are to be welcomed. It said the same thing about love from the very start. Whether culture likes those teachings or not is really beside the point. Biblical Christianity stands firm. The first evaluation, I think, of genuine Christianity is you actually believe it. <laughs> you actually understand and hold to the truths of the Christian faith. The essentials. There are t- definitely tons of non-essentials um, we could disagree about, and, and, and Christians have for a long, long period of time, what you believe in the end times. I know that we have a class on, on Revelation going on right now, and different views can be given there. And other, you know, we have all these different views about pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, amill, pre-mill, post-millennialism, and uh, preterism, and whatever other different beliefs. And we would say none of them are essential to the Christian faith. So we're not saying you have to agree on everything, but on the gospel itself, that Christ has come, the Son of God, eternal, and died in the place of sinners, like me and you, and that by faith in him we receive grace and forgiveness. And we are restored into a right relationship with our Creator and given the gift of eternal life. It's the first test, but it's not the only test. Jesus then says, verses 16 to 20, you will recognize them by their fruits. So he has changed the illustration now. He's not talking about shepherding. He's talking about agriculture here. Um, He says you can recognize them by their fruits, as you would recognize a, a vineyard by its grapes or a fig tree by its figs. And as he says here, of course, you don't have grapes that come from Thorn bushes or figs from thistles. Uh, Fruit is good. We want fruit, right? Fruit trees are good. This is apple picking season in New England. There's no better time to be in New England right now than I think right here in the fall here. Um, my, My daughter went apple picking the other day and my wife made this apple crisp that was just melt in your mouth. You throw a little vanilla ice cream on top of that. Man, that's so good, right? We love fruit here. And he says here, you can recognize a tree by its fruit. He says a healthy tree bears good fruit. A diseased tree doesn't. 
I, uh, I was growing tomatoes this year, and uh, they were turning out delicious and, and great until I got some type of blight on the leaves, those little brown dots, right? And they said, there's basically no way to fix it except pull off the leaves that have it, and eventually it killed the plant, and it doesn't produce any more fruit anymore. That's what happens when a tree itself gets diseased. And he says, a tree that doesn't bear fruit, what happens? It's no good anymore. You cut it down, and you get rid of it. A tree is known by its fruit. Genuine faith is known by what it produces in a person's life. A very important note, note what he is not saying here, and you've got to read it very carefully to make sure you don't misunderstand it. He's not saying that good fruit makes a tree an apple tree. It It doesn't make a tree good. It's the other way around. It's an apple tree before it even bears any apples. And then because of its very nature, it bears apples. Sometimes I think we get it the other way around. For in order for me to be a genuine Christian, I have to do enough good works. So if I can get all these good works done, that makes me into an apple tree. No, it's the other way around. You either are or you are not. As he says here, nature comes first. Same thing with sheep and goats, right? You either are a sheep or you are a goat. You don't become, a goat doesn't become a sheep. Uh, when we hear that illustration of Jesus where he gathers the sheep on his right and he gathers the goats on his left and then he says to those on his right, um, he says, if, you know, uh, did you visited me in prison, you clothed me when I was naked, you fed me when I was hungry. And he says to those on his left, you didn't come and visit me when I was in prison and you didn't clothe me. And we say, ah, look, he's saying the way you get to Jesus' right and the way you get to end up on his left is by what you do. No. You're divided by your very nature. The sheep go to his right before their lives are even evaluated. Here's the point. How does one then become sheep? How does one then become a good tree? By the grace of God and by the Spirit's regenerating work. However, it's recognized by its fruit. Genuine Christianity is seen by the life that it produces. And the opposite is true as well. Bad fruit reveals false teachers, which is the direct context here, or a lack of genuine faith. Mitch used a lot of examples last week about how many of the uh, Jews, particularly Orthodox Hasidic Jews, were mistreated over 2,000 years of church history. And one of the examples he used was the Crusades, which is a dark time in church history. But I think we would have to say, just because someone carries the cross in one hand and a sword in the other does not make them a Christian. Where's the fruit? Anyone can claim it. Anyone can say, I'm doing this in the name of Jesus. But is your life in line with it? What is the fruit? What is the fruit? Uh, let me talk about four areas. These are not sort of the only areas in which you can, but just to break it down a little bit for us here. Uh, one of them would be certainly worship. Worship, do you love God? Do you love to praise him? Do you love to read and to study and to hear his word? Do you love to pray? J.C. Ryle, he was an Anglican uh, church leader um, in the 1800s. He said, if you don't like prayer meetings, you won't like heaven. Because heaven is just one long prayer meeting, right? (laughs) Okay, maybe it's not just that, but you get his idea. If you have no love to be in the presence of God in prayer, 
and in his word in this life, why do you think you would enjoy a place that is all about God? Another fruit is generosity, faithfulness to give. And of course, Financial Peace University was just announced, strongly encourage that just to learn some of the biblical principles. It's not just about the 10% tithe you give. It's also about what you do with the other 90%. Are you using it as a faithful steward in the eyes of the Lord? I see this all the time. Somebody comes to faith and then they begin to try to give. And for them, it's a big deal to give a small amount. And then they start, start to learn to give and to trust to give more generously over time. It's evidence of grace in someone's life. It doesn't save you. But it's the fruit that follows genuine faith. Service. Service. Getting involved in a ministry. But more than that, an attitude of life. Looking to serve. Our natural inclination is to say, I want to be served. (laughs) What can the world give me? What can I get out of other people? And God begins to change our hearts and say, how do I serve? And uh, Teddy, you said it well. Our, Our church just loves to serve. Um, it's not a, it's a burden of meaning, it's a lot of work, but there's a heart of service in this church. I love that. Others notice that, others comment on that. It's one thing I just would, uh, so proud of our church family, and that there is a heart of service. And then one more fruit, and then we'll move on, and that is evangelism. Evangelism, and I think that's really the most clearly symbolic in this picture, because what is a fruit? A fruit literally is a tree's way of creating more trees. It's the way it continues on its life. It spreads by creating seeds that are engulfed in a fruit that an animal or a person or bird, whatever, takes and spreads the trees. And so in some sense, the same is true of us. One of the fruit of the Christian life is a willingness to share your faith with others. Understand, uh, when you become a Christian believer, you don't get all of this at once, just like an apple tree doesn't sprout fruit all, all at once, but over time, you begin to see a life changed for Jesus. 21 to 23, genuine Christianity is sincere in faith. And this is that passage I mentioned here. One more test, and that is sincerity. This is maybe the hardest test. This is maybe a test we only can ask ourselves truly rather than testing of others. Jesus gives this sober warning that not everyone who says To me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom. It's a jarring statement here. He says, only those who do the will of my Father. That Many will even say to me, Lord, Lord. They claim knowledge. They claim relationship with Jesus. And they even have good deeds. They even have the appearance of fruit. Did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not do mighty works in your name? We did all of this in the name of Jesus. Our lives seem to be abundant in fruit. And Jesus' response to them is, I never knew you. Who are you? I've never even met you, relationally speaking. Depart from me, workers of lawlessness. Is this the scariest passage in the Bible? (laughs) Many people, again, would say, to me, this is chilling. Because they do works. They have apparent fruit. They go to church. They tithe. They serve in a ministry. Maybe they even share the true gospel. 
I would argue here that these are not true works. In fact, I think Jesus gives us a clue of that. He says, they don't do the will of my Father. So even though they're doing different things, they're not doing the will of my Father. And he ends the section by saying, he calls them workers of lawlessness. So their works are not lawful. They're not bringing glory to God. So if you look deeper than the surface, they're not true works. And I think, friends, just be careful that some may fool everyone around them. They look the part perfectly. They seem to be a fruit tree. They seem to be an apple tree bearing fruit, but in the end, they're not. I was uh, looking this up this today, uh, yesterday, as I was working on this. There is a fruit tree called a mancanil. Anyone ever heard of a mancanil? Nobody? Okay, so if, just a few. All right, the Spanish name for it is uh, manzanilla de la muerta, which means what, Carmen? The little apple tree of death, right, exactly. So uh, because it bears fruit, sorry to put you on the spot there, Carmen. You're right in front of me. I just had to do that. First to the fact that the manakeel is one of, it, uh, it bears a, uh, an apple that, lo- well, a fruit that looks a lot like an apple, but in reality it is one of the most toxic trees in the world. And its sap is present in every part of the tree, the bark, the leaves, and the fruit. Some have the look of Christianity, genuine Christianity, but are not. But friends, most importantly, do they really know Jesus? Do they have any relational knowledge of him? Is there a sincerity in their faith? Truth of the matter is, this passage doesn't scare me at all. (laughs) You know why? Um, Doesn't scare me personally. Because I know Jesus personally relationally. I know him. Friends, you you want to not be afraid of this passage. It's easy. Answer this question honestly. Do you know him? Not just do you have doctrinal excellence and all of your theological acuity. Not do you have lots of busy works that you can point to. Is he your friend? Is he your savior? Your Lord? Your king? I know Jesus as well as I know Jessica, my wife. Actually, I've known Jesus longer than I've known Jessica, or my kids, or any of you. Every day of my life, I speak with him. And I love him more than anything in this world. That's weird, isn't it? A man who lived 2,000 years ago, I speak to every day. (laughs) And love him more than anything else in this world. I know him. And if you know him, Jesus isn't going to say, I never knew you. Friends, we should evaluate for genuine faith. Evaluate yourself. Um, Do you have a right view of God? Are you bearing fruit for him? And are you in a relationship with God? Certainly evaluate teachers. Again, that's the context of this passage. Um, Some excel in one of those three areas, but they fail miserably in another. I'd be very cautious for one who says, hey, I got solid right doctrine, but their lives do not match it. Or vice versa, someone who has amazing uh, sort of fruit in their lives, but their teaching is off or or whatever it may be. 
We can evaluate each other in love, not in judgment, not to condemn, but only to help. Is that true of you? How can I help you understand the truth of the Christian faith? And friends, I think we do pursue this in our own lives. As the Bible says, we do all we can to make our calling and election sure. Am I, real? Am I the real deal? Do I truly and really know Jesus or not? We look for genuine faith. It may be that the Christian faith continues to decline in the American church. In fact, it seems to be heading in that projected way. And that the nuns uh, increase, which is likely, as well. But the genuine Christian faith will never, ever be eradicated from this world. It will continue to grow and grow, as Jesus says, until the day Christ comes back for his people. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, as we have spent some time on a very serious and sober, sobering passage of Scripture, but a good time to reflect on our own hearts and minds, we pray, Father, for those here who truly know you. Keep us persevering, keep our eyes on you, keep us bearing lots of fruit for your kingdom. And maybe there are some, Lord, who are here, maybe some who have been meeting with this church for years even. You know the heart but they know themselves that there is no relational knowledge of their Savior. Bring them to yourself, Lord. Help them, Lord, to look forward to that glorious day when we meet Jesus, and rather than hearing those words, I never knew you, we hear instead, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.